0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking Forth. Today, we have a very special guest, a great friend, a great colleague. And uh, again, I'm excited to introduce everyone to uh, Tofi Zimnicki. Coach Tofi, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good. So I know you won't say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it for you. Um, Tofi worked with me at Yale, and I was very lucky to have him from day one as an intern um, and throughout the entire time, basically from 2017 um, to his most recent departure at Yale. And what I'm excited to talk about today is maybe some of the behind the scenes things that um people may not have been aware that were going on that led to our success often in any kind of empire or any kind of success story um they're the people that are kind of behind the scenes um that don't really get the credit that they deserve so today's podcast is going to be about uh talking about all the things that he has done how it helped me how it helped the program and then countless athletes so without further ado coach thank you so much for coming on listen can you just give everybody um, your kind of background again how you ended up in New Haven and um, kind of where you're at
1: now? Yeah, how did I end up in New Haven jeez um <laughs> so I, um, I grew up in Connecticut local. Um, kind of always swore I wouldn't be there but then I wound up you know working five years in New Haven so uh, crazy how that that works out but uh, I grew up uh, a local guy. Um, played hockey my whole life, had that competitive edge, um, played all the way up until the junior programs. I um, uh, went to college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, thought I wanted to go into research, uh, found out very quickly that I couldn't sit still for too long. So uh, I decided to get a job as a personal trainer because I kind of fell in love with training um, when, I was in, when I was in college. So I was a personal trainer in Boston for about two years, Uh, went back for my master's degree in exercise science because I really kind of missed that competitive edge of athletics and gender population really doesn't have that too often so um, went back, uh, got my master's applied for the internship at Yale um, started that in the summer of 2017. And I kind of worked my way from an intern to uh, a part-time gig, then a full-time gig there, uh, working with women's ice hockey, uh, men's soccer, softball, women's soccer, and the rugby teams to start out. And that kind of evolved into taking on the men's hockey program, Um, worked with men's and women's golf a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, started, I I worked with football the entire time too. So, but over five years, um, had some successes, I uh, helped plenty of teams to first time ever and was a part of a first time in a long time for a few teams too. So um yeah, it was it was a great time over at Yale. And uh now I'm here with Team Builder.
0: Well that's awesome. We're gonna dive a little bit deeper into that a little later on, but I think you know, your story is pretty incredible in the fact that as you mentioned, you list off some of those teams. Um you know, you never want to be pegged as a guy. And what I mean by that is the token, you know, oh, I only do football, I only do baseball. Your range with all those teams that you mentioned um, was really incredible. And we were very fortunate to have you um, be able to work with those teams and, and not to be all, you know, Kumbaya around the campfire. You also got those teams to win. As you mentioned, you kind of glazed over the fact that the club rugby program, when you weren't really getting paid much, um, (laughs) you know, uh, had wins that they hadn't had. I I forget the teams that they had beat, but I want to say it was Harvard or Princeton yeah. or something like that. It was yep. a big deal. Both of those
1: teams, yeah. They both probably, both of those were got trophy lucky. games. Yeah, you yeah, you probably yeah. Lucky. Probably lucky or something. Yeah.
0: You know, and then, <laughs> and then you were so lucky that when you became full time and you took over the the men and women's soccer programs, you know, just to like spice it up a bit, you know, we threw in a federal investigation. So you were there through the entire time. <laughs> that was uh, wild. The varsity Blue scandal and what's <laughs> crazy is that? Not only did you deal with that coach, you had another coach who came in the following year and then he under different circumstances left and now you had a third coach so what was interesting is that throughout four years you know you had one coach namely the strength coach be there for those individuals and while you were there you did get a player of the year you did you know put one of the ladies into help put one of the ladies into professional um league and and the team did well and then the men's program as well similarly very successful win a championship um and then for fun, you know, as you mentioned with women's ice hockey, never having a winning season, and I don't know, somebody could probably look that up. I don't know if it was never ever or never in a long. Time. I don't think
1: I don't think they ever had a winning season up until right. the past couple of years. Yeah. So and then
0: you know your ability to connect with uh, Coach Mark and you know his his vision to not only win but to actually make it to the final four. And so mm-hmm. when I think of you, I always think about if I had to peg you as the guru of something um you know you can turn around some pretty incredible teams and i think sometimes administrations may not understand what goes into uh building successful programs but it starts with relationships and being able to connect and again your style um is an interesting dichotomy in that if anybody gets a chance to hang out with you they're gonna laugh you're gonna smile Uh, but at the same time probably before it was the new hotness, you were really big into data. And so also, we're gonna talk about that right now there's a massive push in strength and conditioning for data analytics and scientists Mm -hmm. and all the other data kind of isms. Um, But like any fad, uh, similar to how we saw with the functional movement, uh, movement uh, throughout the early 2000s, good concept, and it kind of went sideways and we started having circus tricks. Mm -hmm. data right now, I feel is going to kind of go through that natural evolution. But would love to have you talk about how you've used it for the last five years. But again, as I say this to any of our listeners, I want you to pay close attention of how you actually applied it. Because you can get data, you can certainly spend a lot of time. But right now, if I had to count, you know, the number of people that do data correctly, and I can say hire this person or use this strategy, you will win, Uh, the market is not there yet. Currently, data exists to tell you what not to do, data exists to maybe fear monger um, sport coaches for injury prevention, Um, or the data is going to take a lot of time to tell me um, something we already know that the athletes are weak and can't handle their sport specific domain. You really, even back in 2017, found ways to express data in a meaningful way that wasn't offensive. That wasn't overwhelming to, Mm -hmm. you know, have a coach in their seventies intuitively understand a traffic light system, but on the same time um, do pretty complex analysis of game stats for the strength staff to know what metrics to train that's ahead of its time. And so I'd, I'd love for you to kind of give your thought on what got you into data how you approach it, and then kind of the state of the game.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess what got me into data? I mean, I mentioned previously um, kind of my background. You know, I, I thought I was going to go into research, and obviously research is very data-heavy. Um, so I I had a background with numbers. Um, I didn't really, you know, think anything of it at the time uh, when I went back for my, my master's degree of – you know how much could be done with it. But when I got my hands on the data sets at Yale, and you know, you I have a, a lot to thank you for, is you know, you kind of put a lot of data sets in front of me uh, just to mess around with, just to see what I, I could figure out. And there were plenty of projects and plenty of times where I had to like sit down, not only think about what the data meant, but how the data was going to be utilized. Right. So there's there's plenty of information out there. Um, but what I wanted to do with the information that was in front of me was take it and arrange it in a way that was gonna be actionable by the person that asked for it. So I feel like, and, and I don't, I don't wanna get like too broad or, or anything right uh, with the statement, but I feel like a lot of the times with data, it's presented in a way that's like meaningful to the person that I guess analyzed it. And it's not meaningful to the person that's consuming it, right? I think a lot of the times uh, people get their hands on data sets and they're like, oh, I'm going to do this fancy, you know, technique and this, this amazingly complex art chart or display. And then it just becomes a lot of noise on a screen. And when you're presenting to people in this field, they're, oftentimes they don't have a math intensive background. They don't need one, right? Like you don't need a crazy background to be a sports coach. You don't need a crazy background to be a strength coach. You just kind of have to know what to do, when to do it, and how to execute on it. And I found that the simpler the display, the more it was consumed, the easier it was for people that to digest. And then we could have a conversation on it, right? Because I felt visuals were a way to drive conversation. And that's how the point was nailed home. You know, I could have that visual in the background and be like, hey, you know, this is where we're at. This is where you wanted to go. This is how we can get there. And this is the track we have to take. So, I thought of visuals and data as a way to drive a conversation. And I think, I think right now it's this field is in such an infancy that the flashy is what gets put in front of people. But I think the simple, digestible um, data metrics and the way things can be displayed, like you said, the stoplight system—you know, red, yellow, green—that's super easy. Anyone that looks at it like, oh, red, I shouldn't go there. Yellow, "Eh, let's have a conversation about why it's yellow. And then green, like thumbs up, let's all around the board. And I use that a lot, especially with trying to, you know, I guess, communicate with sport coaches of like, this is where your team's at. You know, you're in the red, you're in the yellow, you're in the green. And that's honestly, a lot of the times that's quick and easy to consume. And they appreciate that. They don't want to sit and take two hours looking at crazy, complex graph and images that they're going to get lost in. And that is hard to have a a conversation because if someone's seven steps behind you in the conversation, still trying to look at whatever's in front of them, it's you're you're not moving the needle. You're really not. You're spending, you're spinning your wheels way too much. So um, my approach to data was always, I have to find out what the consumer is going to consume and not what I think would be the coolest thing to display because, Red, yellow, green is so mundane to me, but like, if that's what drives the conversation, that's what I'm using, you know, like, there's no reason to get flashy, fancy. I can, I can be complex in my analysis, but they don't need to see that. They don't need to see that. They need to see the simplicity of the message is what they need to see. So I think you bring up such a
0: great point. And it reminds me a lot of, I think of websites of the early nineties where only a coder had the power to get Mm -hmm. on the worldwide web and share information. And so you have this kind of gatekeeper phenomenon. And when front page came out, and then as you know, you think about like GoDaddy websites, or or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, social media, the ability to share information, um, you know, as, as that kind of program grew, created a lot of opportunities. Conversely, as you mentioned when you make a graph because you have your phd in bio whatever but you're the only one who can interpret it Mm -hmm. i don't think unless you've been in the field you understand that's very intimidating and if you're going to be a team player and you're on a team which is different than research Mm -hmm. you want visualizations that bring people together not oh let me go get the phd guy let me go get the, you know, the guru, um, you know, that only they, you know, can interpret what this means. Because again, what we're looking for is some action to give us a competitive advantage, either Mm -hmm. in performance, or maybe on the way back um, in rehab or return to play. But I think thinking about the problem first, who's going to be addressing it, and you did a great job of taking the same data set, and having multiple outputs. So I would get my dashboard, the coaches would get this, the players and the athletes. And we had Eric Renahan on talking about, you know, merit-based training and being intentional. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the same data set may need to be displayed multiple ways. And I think that's Mm -hmm. another key thing that you kind of did naturally um, with very good success. So I think that is, uh, again, hats off to you kind of being at the tip of the spear of
1: that. Yeah. It's, um, again, it comes back to who, who, and I mean, we talked about this all the time, you know, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, and I think it applies to data. It's like, who, who are you working with? Um, what is their goal? And then how long do you have? And I think in reality, you just, you flip that over and it was like, who are you making this for? You know, when do they need it by? Because sometimes they needed it yesterday. Um, so what's the easiest way to display it and how quickly you can get it out. Um, and the kind of what what's the goal of the information? You know, what is it? Is it for recruiting? Is it for you know, is it for just progress reporting? Is it for um someone's just like not really, you know, pulling their weight? And is it you or is it them? And how do you have that conversation? So what's the what's the effect gonna be of that of, of the visual or what the, the data should be representing? So Yeah, I know
0: we were talking about in a design meeting last week and, and this was thinking about what graph we were gonna put in and how it was gonna be interpreted. And so really, you know, trying to hammer out, um, as I think it was, uh, Peter Mundy brought up, uh, it's fast think, slow think. And I think in athletics and within departments and divisions, those are the two different paradigms. So as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, quick and dirty, when I was in our team builder, you know, we wanted to have a B or C option. I didn't want to look at all the different metrics. I wanted to Mm -hmm. very quickly address the issue at hand. To get the best workout possible in the rack but on the flip side we could spend an hour doing slow think using the auditors going through looking at projections what did we think we were going to move what didn't we what were the comments what were the videos and i think you're foolish if you pick one way to present data without an anticipatory plan to say oh if this individual joins our group or this other person could add value, but we're not going to make a visualization for them.
1: I think that's again a foolish mistake. No, hundred percent. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's it, it tells the story, right? And like that's that for me is is always like what it really comes down to is you're telling a story, and you, you kind of have to pick maybe the right amount of words or you know, the right style, it might be a blog post. It might be, you know, a whole novel. It just depends on the situation, right? It depends on the story you want to tell. Sometimes you can get things across in five words. Sometimes you can get things across in a whole, you know, paragraph novel. So I think it really just depends. Depends on what you're looking at.
0: Really yeah, and I, and I think the question is, are we exploring? So is there a new novel concept we're trying to discover? So the people that love are, and they're looking at correlations and causations and all the other Asians, um, or am I looking for a specific action? And I think Mm. that goes into that play of, you know, being open-ended, but also being focused and dialed in is pretty simple concept, but it's so hard to execute on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I mean, look, like data analysis has been around for years. It's this, this, we're not talking about like this brand new, you know, landscape, right? Like it's businesses, fortune 500 companies have been doing this for years and it's like, you know, it's why haven't, you know, why haven't athletics? There's so many numbers in this, in this field. And it's like, it's, it's so easy to quantify things and yeah, it's a human game. You know, there's a lot of factors that you can't account for sure. But like if you're 95% confident in what's going to happen, that's way better than just like flying by the seat of your pants and hoping that you're hundred percent confident because you, you know, you're never going to be hundred percent confident in what's going to happen out on a field in performance. But if you can dial it as close to hundred percent as possible using numbers and metrics, that's way better than just guesstimating and going off a of feeling. Right. So you kind of want to make sure that everything's back. Your feelings are backed up by some sort of, you know, hard science or hard data. And, and again, like that's, it goes back to, you know, Uh, business, finance sectors. It's like, they've been using data to shore up their guesses or their assumptions on markets and, you know, insurance, same way. It's like, how do they come up with all these, you know, with all the rates and stuff like that? It's all data analytics, depending on where you are, you know, could be anything, you know, when it comes to like uh, driver's insurance, what state are you in? What kind of car do you drive? You know, it's, it's, it's like, they factor in so many different things and it's like, why why haven't we done that so far in sports on a grander scale like it's you can you know profile things you can make assumptions you can track things you can project things it's just that no one has really kind of like put their foot down and said hey like let's just make this easy let's start looking at everything and you know just simply what are we trying to get out of the information we have
0: yeah and I wonder because athletics is a very um in the moment gut you know i've got to follow my gut mm-hmm. um pattern recognition most coaches um if you ask them to do you know calculus they can't but if you ask them to remember the play in the fourth period of oh, yeah. ball all number four um <laughs> they can remember that they missed their assignment um so coaching and athletics in general um, the idea is you get coaching experience, you build up your knowledge base in your head. Oh, this athlete reminds me of this. So they're, they are profiling, they are taking yeah. knowledge sets through experience, and trying to replicate outcomes. And if anybody knows the traveling salesman um, problem, you know, I've got five cities, and what's the best route to be most efficient, cost effective, to get there in the fastest time or to get there with the cheapest amount of tolls, even with five data points. It can get very, very complex. And athletics has thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of points. I remember when we looked at, um, I think we did a, an analysis of our workouts from the graduating class from 17 on that freshman class. Just in Team Builder alone, from their workout logs, it was over seven gigs of <laughs> CSV information. For anyone yeah. who doesn't know, that's a lot of CSV. And often, those historical moments can be kind of lost. And we can forget what we did a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether it's numbers and exercises, or just what was the outcome? I think that's where data is going to really have to find a role because coaches want 100%. That's yeah, that's the goal. it's fine. Oh, yeah. But data is not it's a it's a calculated risk. And the goal of data should be to hedge your bets to mm-hmm. limit your exposure. Uh, this great left tackle is four foot 10. We don't need to do much more data analytics to know that's probably not going to go to the NFL. Nothing. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but at the same time, if someone is six six, if someone is plus wingspan, if someone is, you know, 220 pounds mm-hmm. of muscle, but they want to be a poet, data is not going to tell you that. And so that's where I see the coaches being able to integrate that into their, you know, kind of larger paradigm. But I want to go a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. some of the stuff that you did And we'll break these down Um, again, people that were at Yale that didn't get a chance to talk to you didn't understand kind of some of the value you brought. And I remember specifically telling people like you have no idea of some of the super, you know, technology that we have access to because of what you made and how we Mm -hmm. impact it day to day. And I want to really like focus in on how you came about it what was your methodology and then if you could do it again what would you do differently and and I laugh because you mentioned sometimes I would throw data sets in front of you and say it was due yesterday that actually happened quite regularly um, yeah and, and you were able to do these things under great pressure but I, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about the the slicer and kind of you yeah know, checking for duplicates and this and that and like tell a little backstory of it what the challenge set was and then how you came up with that solution
1: yeah um so I mean the uh the whole, I guess, <laughs> the whole idea of this slicer, right, um, we had a, a campaign um, on Twitter uh, to kind of just message out to different people across the, pretty much across the country, right, if I'm not mistaken, um, across the world, if not, um, about just like Yale in general and the athletics department, and specifically the football team, and we had to go through, and we had, what was it, like 50,000 Twitter handles or something like that. And it's when you're trying to gather all the information, you're going to come across some things where you have duplicates or you have close enoughs. And the idea of this slicer was to, I had to build this program that would just go through and look for duplicates automatically. And instead of, you know, going through it by hand, I had to effectively figure out, well, how am I going to do this? Because I, not only did I have to look for the duplicates, I'd, I had to delete the duplicates And then once I deleted them, I had to get the whole fresh list of the uh, Twitter handles that needed to go into what was effectively named the machine that that would rifle off messages to these kids. Um, So what I did is I I mean the problem was is that we had duplicates, right? And we didn't want to message people twice. So I had to took what I knew from a you know just a pure processing standpoint of, of how do I find duplicates? Well, there was a function for that. And did I know that function? No, I had to go to Google, right? (laughs) So a lot of what I did was taking the problem, knowing the right question to ask, not necessarily to someone else, but to, you know, the greater powers that be people that are a lot smarter than me that have graciously posted their information on the internet (laughs) for free. Um, And I would take the techniques and the theories of like, hey, you know, when you're looking for duplicates, you want to use this function. Okay. Once you have that list of duplicates, how do you go and delete the, the ones from the first list? Well, then there's, there's another function for that, right? There's another function that you can go and employ for that. And maybe it was a little bit further involved in, in coding and scripting on the back end on like Google Sheets. So I had to learn how to like code and script on, you know, the, the Google uh, script app. Um, so I built this whole thing by just knowing the right questions to ask, not only you know, to other people of like what they're looking for, but like, how do I solve this problem using the technology that's out there? So I, and I, and I haven't mentioned this before, but you know, it's everybody out there. Like I'm, I'm self-taught, right? Like I, I go and I ask, I ask questions to, you know, the, the interwebs essentially, and I find the answer and then I trial it out if it works awesome, it sticks. And then I, and then I, now now I have a a new tool in the toolbox for that same issue that might arise later on. If it doesn't work, all right, well, I have to go back and figure out, are there two techniques instead of just one technique? And how do I blend those two techniques together to solve the issue? And then if those two don't work, is there three, that three that need to be combined? And it's an iterative process of trying to figure out what's going to work best. So that slicer was essentially me just sitting down and saying, this is the problem. I know there's gotta be techniques out there because people obviously have the same issue. Again, again, this is going back to finance. Like if you have like an email campaign, campaign you don't wanna go and email a bunch of people twice in a row. So if you have a list of, of emails on an email campaign, you wanna look through all the duplicates and get rid of that. That's essentially what I found. And that's how that's how I went about it is, is like, it's is been done before, you know, it's been done before. I just had to go and figure out how to apply it to my situation. Yeah,
0: and I think not reinventing fire is probably one of the most overlooked aspects is that everyone wants to be new, they want to be novel, but take a moment to kind of do a a industry lit review. Has this been done? Has this been done well in other areas and aspects? Because you were really good, as you mentioned, you had to self teach yourself to go do that. And you only had, you know, a week, you know, we had to get it out in time. And for those that are listening, envision email campaign, but through Twitter, but through direct message. And you had these individuals that wanted to hear from us. But from my standpoint was we don't have the capacity or the time to effectively communicate. So we'll automate it. Well, you you can't do that. We did do that. And if you go look at the Twitter account for the team, it's the largest in the league. And so we were able (laughs) to do that better than anybody else because we said, okay, what's our problem? Is there a known solution? Can we repurpose it and get it out? And as Toffee said, you can't, you can't, talk to people, you can't spam people, um, you have to make sure that it's on point. And again, one mistake makes everyone look bad. But again, that was something that was created and actually trialed out manually, I believe that was class four. Four, four. That did, yeah, uh, that did it by hand. Because again, you know, ideally, you'd want to have an individual GA go through and do it, but we didn't have that. So we used our, our group and what they were able to accomplish was a manual kind of brute force approach to the problem. Which then Tofi was able to to automate, and um, so that was super super helpful, um, and just a great example of efficiency and time. Um, and so that would go on to actually have some of the highest enrollment in camps mm-hmm. pre pandemic um, that it had. So that was an overall success. But yeah. I don't want to stop there. So now <laughs> we've got all these people coming to these camps, hundreds and hundreds of people. And you know, if anyone's been to a camp, you do the forty, you do these assessments in the morning. Usually there's lunch. And then there's an afternoon section at lunch you have about an hour to be able to then take information make a decision and this was the first time that we started looking at composites and why i say that is that it's not just the 40 it's not a bench press it's not a height it's not a wingspan it's kind of collectively how do we bring this all together Mm -hmm. and make a quick educated decision of is it worth our time to talk about so could you talk a little bit about the recruiting calculator the forms of it and this was your first kind of i guess foray into the the magic quadrant um right. some of the waiting um aspects could you talk about that
1: yeah uh so that that recruit thing that that <laughs> that thing was uh that thing's wild um man that uh everybody called me like hey i need this by tomorrow and i was like <laughs> i was go like sure. you can tell the story you can tell oh, you want you want me to tell? all right so um, we could go there i mean how? all right so um i'm gonna call at 9 p.m um plenty of time and plenty of time and <laughs> you're like hey what's up and i was like not much what's up with you <laughs> you're like well i have an idea and i was like sure I'm, i bet you do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I, it'd be great if we could compare you know the kids on the team now to like maybe some of the kids that might be interested in joining the team at some point in their time, <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, that that sounds awesome, man. I I, I can get behind that. And you're like, yeah. So like seven a.m. tomorrow. Like, what do you you know you, you think you can? And I was like, I mean, I could. <laughs> I probably could. <laughs> so I remember sitting down from like eleven to like two a.m. and and going over like five years of data. I had to like scrub five years of data, and oh that was wild that that was it was crazy it was it was a test it was fun um it was it was like this giant Rubik's cube and i i actually I'm saying that I, I can't solve a Rubik's cube but like the, i like to use that as an example um <laughs> i um yeah I sat down for like three hours scrubbed five years of data uh turned it into a database and then was just like you know what what's the issue here right like what well, that's what it comes down to it's like what what a coach is, what are the football coaches always love to say does' it move the needle you know, what's the rest of the room look like? So the room being position group, does it move the needle? Are they better than the guys in the room? And what, what metrics did we have? Right? Like I knew the metrics that they, we collected. I knew the metrics that would make sense for each coach to be able to look at and be like, oh yeah, they're definitely better. Oh my God, they're way worse. Why would we ever, you know? So that's where the kind of like the, the stoplight thing came into play specifically. And I think it did, it did a really good job of kind of like showcasing who was what, who was where compared to what we had in the room. Was it an effect? Like, was it an effective uh, use of our time to look in that general direction? Like what, you know, because that's really, I mean, sports, right. That's, that's really what it comes down to is an effective use of your time, you know, whether it's, it's play calling, whether it's recruiting, whether it's in the strength conditioning room, whether it's conditioning itself you know, what is going to be an effective use of your time given the parameters? And for me, it was just looking at what we had. I knew that obviously we wanted to bring in better talent because that's the point of recruiting. So what are the small, you know, measurables that we could control in that moment to say, Hey, like, let's figure out, let's, let's peel back like the layers a little bit and see what else this person is about. Because like on paper, sure. Awesome. Like that's great. Right. But you know, what's the next level. And that's where that coaching eye comes in. But like, you only want to use your coaching eye because it's a valuable asset on so many people, right? Like, it's like, it's gold. You know, if you're, if you're trying to like, I guess if you're going through the entire country, searching for gold, there's always gold in certain areas. So like, why not try to identify where that gold is? Use your time, use your resources, use your knowledge in that area where, you know, there's gold. Yeah. You can go all over and you can, you know, walk every square foot of the country looking for it. But Go where there's already gold. Know where there's going to be gold, or at least like invest your time in what you think, without a shadow of a doubt. Going back to that ninety-five percent, be ninety-five percent confident that like you have gold, and then try to file away at that other five percent that like maybe you can't get on paper. You know, so that that was kind of like the whole recruit profiling thing. It was just like trying to figure out where where should we spend our time because that's it's it's so valuable.
0: Yeah, I think as you said it right there, spend my time. Coaches are going to spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm looking at you know individuals and try to project high school production to college or college to the nfl and it -hmm. can be a misnomer and i thought it was interesting when you do that people say oh well we won't spend as much time on recruiting no false instead of looking at a thousand people for you know a minute a piece you might look at a hundred for an hour or two Mm -hmm. hours and honestly too i think when people talk about data there's this kind of idea that data gives you all the answers. Data is not great necessarily, especially when it comes to recruiting and telling you who's going to be good. Mm -hmm. It's pretty spot on with who doesn't have a shot. And when I say that, it's not that they're just shorter. Well, you can be short, but if you're exponentially more explosive within your composite for that room or that group, Mm -hmm. you can overcome certain traits um, better than others. But at the same time, and this is what I thought the coaching staff did an incredible job with, we can't make their wingspan longer. We, we can't change a shoe size. We can't change height. You know, we couldn't do muscle biopsies, but we knew certain parameters for explosiveness. And mm-hmm. so we could kind of hedge our bets that if things went well in the weight room, 50%, 75% or 100%, mm-hmm. these are the expected outcomes. And, and I do give, you know, Coach Reno credit for sitting down early on with this concept of numbers and stars. I think, I don't know if you had hover bubbles at that point. I remember remember pushing you for that to have the metadata associated, but to have those conversations. And what I think the final product there was, yeah, we brought in some really talented athletes, but I think we also gave coaches the time to work on character. Because people Mm -hmm. would ask us, you remember all the time, what's the magic, what's the secret? I mean, that team, that football team, from where it started to where it evolved to. I mean, it was a party four days a week to go into the weight room with guys that wanted to be there that were motivated mm-hmm. for each other and it was just fun. And oh yeah, that's a testament to the coaching staff being able to get in the good athletes, but also great people. And I, I do think that that's where if data we're going to find a niche in kind of this space is that giving coaches more time because the most valuable thing you have is time. Mm-hmm. and you only have two eyeballs you only have so much time and so i thought your chart did such a good job of putting a lot of data into that kind of neighborhood kind of cluster format and it was certainly intuitive
1: yeah and, and again like it's because it always goes back like you only know what's in front of you and it's really you know you, the players you have you know how they, they they function you know how they move and anytime you can compare an unknown to either a value or a concept that is so novel or so I guess so intuitive for those coaches because they spent so much time with the athletes they have when you can compare an unknown to that and kind of give a little bit of insight into what they might be looking at they they're either going to get excited because it looks great or they're going to be completely you know shoved away from it and they're like oh you know that's you know, we don't have anybody like that. It's not going to make us any better. Like, let's you know, let's invest your time somewhere else. And like, that's that's really what it comes down to. And that's where that that idea of the cluster chart came from. So, and when I say cluster chart, it's it's literally just a you know uh, a scatter plot. And it had everybody that had ever you know gone through the program that we had information on. And then you know you could plot one or one person against the entirety of the team and figure out where they were given the metrics that we were waiting uh, on that graph itself. And it was a really powerful visual because you got to see it would move right to left and up and down like that, that star itself on that, that graph. And, you know, when you hovered over uh, other stars on the chart, you could see, oh, they're really close to this person. And, you know, we love this person. they like, they're great. Like, let's, let's spend our time there. And it's like, you really, really allowed them to make that quick connection like the, you saw it you see like when they when they were like oh wow you know when they looked at them like oh they're really close like that light bulb instantly was just like like that it was just you could see it in their face like oh this makes a lot of sense because they look at the number they look at the number comparison like oh yeah those numbers are kind of close but then they look at the, the two stars that are aligning in, the, in this like in the uh, the galaxy that was in front of them. They were like, whoa my God, this is amazing. Like this is we we gotta talk to this person. We gotta figure this person out. So um yeah that scatter plot was kind of cool just to see the reaction from the coaches. They they love that thing. That was it was awesome. Well and you said it's intuitive and I
0: I always say when you design something, if you have to read an instruction manual, you didn't build it right. As mm-hmm. you said, that there are like traits. And again that XY scatter plot had a lot of different data that values that went into where that star was located. So it wasn't just an x and a y, it was right. positive things. So again, if someone is slightly smaller or a little bit slower, it doesn't tank your score. Anybody that looks at a, any data point myopically, you're setting yourself up for trouble. If GPS says drive off the cliff, because it's the fastest route, and you don't have your head up to be like, wow, maybe I don't want to go off the cliff. Um, that's on you. So I think data is best when analyzed in a composite setting specifically if you're going to take action because again everything has context and Mm -hmm. that context is something you can either impact and change with your staff and training or not and so making sure you have values to that so i thought yeah incredible
1: yeah i mean the the context is key because numbers are numbers and numbers like i can throw numbers at people all day but it doesn't mean anything to them sometimes you know what i mean like i mean you could say two random numbers, but if that's associated with your star running back, like that has a, a way different weight, right. Than if I just threw two numbers at somebody and it's a random trail on the street. Right. Cause like, you know, that context alone, it's like, Oh, well, am I talking about like their fatigue levels going into practice? Like that has a lot more weight when you're talking about, you know, someone that's going to produce on the weekends and like, they're going to have to lean on that person a lot. um, Because that decision you make based on what information I give you, has a lot more emotion involved in it, but we've, we've taken that emotion and we've shoved it down a little bit to kind of give a value to it. Be like, Hey, like this is, you know, this is the person we're talking about your your star running back. This is where I see them right now. Let's talk about the decisions we can make. And maybe we, you know, maybe we're like, oh yeah, they're full go. They're good to go. Maybe we just talked to them real quick. Maybe they had a bad day in our, in our assessment and like, they're, they're good to go by the afternoon, or maybe they've had a bad week so far. And like, this is the numbers that are coming in front of me. And like, let's have a talk about what we can do for this, this person, you know, because I know, you know, I know later on down the line, later on in the week, you're going to rely on that person heavily. So the context is super, super important when looking at the numbers, because yeah, I mean, you can learn a lot from numbers and make a lot of assumptions, but like, if you don't have context behind it, it's kind of like, eh, you know yeah it's it's good information to have but you, you got to know what you're looking at and what it means especially to the person you're talking to about it so that's that's always important like whenever i work with someone on data it's like i want to ask more questions about what the data really means to them because that's that's where i get the context right like the, they they know the information a little bit better than i do i just tell them what i'm seeing and then we can talk about the context or i'd, I'd like to know the context before because then we can have a better conversation going forward that not look crazy for saying something ridiculous so Right.
0: And I, I mean, I think, you know, working with customers now, and, and you know, you hate to be the, the bearer of bad news, but when someone's mm-hmm. up 46% in their vert, like it's great. And they've got their, you know, 12 inch vertical jump, you know, and say, yeah, you're a basketball player, um, great percentage. Yes. Better than one or 2%. Um, but you're still not relevant. And I think relevance right. is a step function. So each level of output. So we talk about output metrics and then strategy metrics. The output is what gets you recruited. The strategy is what you do to maintain, to give you time to learn your X's and O's, to give you time to practice, but there is a relevance. And conversely, there might be a specific metric that you're looking at or composite that a one or 2% change is massive, is massive. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And even within say a 40 yard dash, Going two-tenths of a second faster is massive. But if it's a 7-2 to a 7, and that's a wide receiver, it's irrelevant. And right. so I always laugh when when you hear things taken out of context and people, oh, well, that's great. That's good improvement. No, it was bad recruiting. Right. You know, and it won't. It'll cost too much or the likelihood of getting, even in the neighborhood of the peers, to be competitive mm-hmm. is just too great you know, we'd have to pass on that option. So yeah, uh, I thought that did really well when you, yeah.
1: And I think the other thing too, is like, let's, let's talk about outliers for a second too. Cause I would always the n of one arguments. I love that. You know what I mean? It's like when you're looking at, and I'm going to get a little like uh statistical here, but like when you have outliers, right. That's a, that's a few standard deviations away from the mean. Right. And if you're chancing that everyone is going to be an outlier, well, that's just, that's just your new norm right like the like everyone has the opportunity to be an outlier well no that's that's completely false like sure you know if you if you walk up to a roulette table and i say yeah that uh, that number you're about to bet all your chips on has a 1% chance of hitting are you going to take that every single time every single bet you know are you going to put all your money on that 1% sure hey if you want like high risk high reward but now you got <laughs> now you got one or two outliers and then you got 40 or 50 people that just aren't panning out and you're, you're racking your brain. like, oh, wow, how did this happen? So and it's dope. like, and you're, yeah, broke. And, you're broke. <laughs> and you're probably dead broke. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean it, yeah. Outliers. Yeah. Outliers definitely happen, and like, it'd be great to identify outliers, but like, you know, I, I mean, my, my thought process and theory when it comes to data and identification is you're trying to whittle away the people that you, you can say with 99% confidence just aren't going to pan out and you can hedge your bets and the people that might be closer to the, you know the one or two standard deviations away from just your normal population which is you know athletically skill wise talent wise mentality wise is what you want when you're building a team but at least I would I would say that so maybe some people disagree but well but also
0: too i mean it's it's a fact as you mentioned in other um sectors it's the law of large numbers like you mm-hmm. you get an outlier positively or negatively you yeah. really have to stay focused at trying to Limit liabilities, play, play the odds, and, and I think of if anyone's familiar with the cowed, uh, card counting of the MIT that um, yeah you had, yeah. but they actually go twenty one. Yeah. yeah, go read the paper. Um, it's actually you can find it online, and start playing those numbers. And again, the law of large numbers. You, you're going to have favorable situations, and you're going to have less favorable because people will mm-hmm. ask us on the plate. Oh, so this person jumps this on the plate. What does it say? What does it mean? It means it's worth your time. You know, again, it's worth your time to go find out is this person a good teammate? I can't tell you if they're going to be good. I can't yeah. tell you if they're going to be a rock star athletically and go in front of a stadium and completely lock up. But again, I can tell you if, you know, you are trying to recruit jockeys and someone comes in at six foot 10 there's a high likelihood that individual is going to eventually be limited by things they can't control and, and yeah. pairing that up. So playing mm-hmm. law of large numbers with the recruiting is a better strategy than, as you mentioned, trying to find the outlier
1: or the superstar. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause I mean, in, in your time, you will always come across them. You, you know, you'll always come across the, the N of one arguments um, that'll kind of fall in your lap, but um, if that's all you're looking at that's kind of tough that's kind of tough for me. and I, to, I feel like that takes a lot more time to really like hone in on every single minute of every single hour trying to look for those you know, those diamonds that are rough and and hoping that you find like five or six of them in one class that everybody else glosses over that's that's tough i mean you can whittle it down but yeah like i can't imagine that's gonna be an easy an easy venture
0: yeah but now flipping flipping gears you do recruit somebody now you have to do something and i know this is the bane of every sport coach you know the strength coaches you know they go in there's loud music um you know typically there's a lot of lifting of weight there's a lot of whatever it's it's awesome to ask a sport coach to describe like what happens they're like i don't know they just go into the box of gains and hopefully they come out better in a year and whatever um being able to kind of build a dashboard or an interface that gave clear insight to what was happening to specific variables but also knowing when to address them. So what I mean by that is, you know, you're gonna bake a cake, you can get all the recipe and all the ingredients, but if you put all the dry stuff in, then put it in the oven, then take it out, then put in uh, say your eggs and whatever, it's the wrong order in sequence. And I don't think sequencing right now um, is as good as it could be. But I certainly with some of the stuff that you gave us, we knew exactly when to use what program and that was a huge competitive advantage and why we were able to see such progress and the coaches and the players could articulate what their goal was. So could you talk a little bit about the, uh, the prototyping uh, profile
1: uh, report? Yeah. 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 So um, that one was, that one was kind of cool because that I had to do some, I guess, more advanced math on that one. And it was just fun. To me. But um, yeah, that, that I effectively took like, what the past four the past four years of weight room information um, started to break things down and into uh, into generally what we could predict as as progress for certain types of people, and when I say certain types of people, I mean you know we have our bigs, we have our mid skill, we have our skill positions, and you know along with those positions, generally we have different types of of uh, body types, and and generally what we saw is different people responded to different types of training and you could kind of whittle it down to essentially what type of body type they were, um, at its basic sense. Um, obviously there's some nuance that goes along with that, but, um, for the most part, you know, in a normal sense, you could pretty much figure out and track, you know, who needed what at what time in their career based on, you know, who they came in as. Um, so I, I went through and I looked, I looked through all the the body types that we had. I, I, profiled pretty much every athlete i said at any given time um depending on the time of year season uh their developmental status as a uh, as a in the weight room so uh their lifting age training age let's say um they needed a certain type of effect at, at some given moment and, and like you always say it's, it was like medicine right like you could dose things uh however you want but if you you improperly dose it or if you dose it at the wrong time you don't know the effect that you're gonna get and it could be you know an ill effect so really what it came down to was just profiling at what time we had to administer what dose of medication in the form of hypertrophy in the form of strength in the form of power in the in the form of speed so
0: well, I think what's so important, and I know I know you, and so you, you, you kind of, again, glazed over the fact that you would start with our top performers. And so when I meet with a customer and they say, well, the, just because the person has the best metrics doesn't mean they're the best player. Correct. But what you did was go and look at our top performers, irrelevant to the you know numbers that they had. And so what you find is like the bench press wasn't as important as we thought. They had to get to a certain level, but after that, it didn't matter um squat was important but at some point it didn't matter and so that 80 20 curve because you started with the on-field action looked back at their workout cards timed up their sequence saw their progression smashed that across multiple years that's how you were able to then forecast it yeah if I gain 10 more pounds on this type of body one could expect this in their pro agility Mm -hmm. one could expect this and so that individualization we have that famous chart um it was made where it was the pie charts of the individuals i think it was the 2017 team yeah it was Yep. yeah where everybody had different training and at the same time yes they were individualized but collectively they came together as a team that fall and they were the best version of themselves so they could go on and win that outright title which i don't think had been done in in quite a while um yeah yeah, and a something time. 20, or
1: over 20 something years, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: If I yeah, Yeah. and it was their first title since I think 2006. Six, uh, yeah, where they shared the title that year, yeah. Yeah, but to have an outright title, and it took time, but again, you're kind of a uh, genius to go and say, not let's take all of our current squatters, let's take the average, the standard deviation and whatever, um, you know, and here, here's our numbers and metrics. You said, who are our best people? <laughs> like who, like, let's start there. And I think that is another area now where in all the PhDs will come in. If they don't have context, you might get 80% of a value of a team that's not very good. I'll never forget when I said, I talked to Boyd about what they would do in Nebraska with their All-Americans and this and that. And I said, well, what if you don't have any All-Americans to profile? He said, sounds like a you problem, right? And so you have to kind of guess and maybe use external standards, but also if your team isn't above 500, maybe you don't use the national team standards for your fitness Mm -hmm. test. Maybe you don't you know, jump right to that final step and and make it meaningful, but also manageable to be able to get athlete buy-in because nobody wants to do a test where they're gonna get crushed. You know, if you told me that, you know, we're gonna train you until you dunk, I'm not gonna do it. I I can't get off. I can't get off the ground to be able to do it. So why would I put in the the effort to try to go to an unattainable goal? You did a great job of saying, this is where you need to go, but it's also very attainable if you follow the process. And that's how we were able to get that process buy-in. So I thought that was, again, way ahead of its time. And kind of now, knowing mm-hmm. what you know, how important that was to create buy-in, what would you have added or done differently?
1: Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> that, that visual that I made was definitely – uh it was, is definitely a little complex. Um, so, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what we did, um, you know, behind closed doors, you know, we had a good sense of, of what we were looking at, uh, because both of us sat down together and, and kind of like had jam sessions. We really thought that out, um, you know, showcasing that, or at least kind of branching off of our idea of, you know, not only just telling the athletes like, Hey, this is where you're at in a point in time, but I think like giving them a little bit of a, I think of it like a roadmap, right? You know, you can give, you know, you can give somebody a roadmap and if there's a, only half of it's kind of laid out or if it's like in the most complex route possible, sometimes it's a lot to take in. So, um, you know, knowing what I know now, probably chunking it up, chunking it up to kind of digest for them just a little bit easier uh, because I would say to my teams all the time, like, you know, I'm going to give you guys the GPS, right? Like I'm going to show exactly, you know, where we're going to go, what route we're going to take, how often we're going to take that route. If we need to take a detour, we take a detour. But, you know, it's up to them to get in the car and drive it. Right. So um, for me, putting it out in a little bit more of a simpler term, because a lot of the times we would just sit down with athletes with one on ones, be like, hey, like, this is where you're at. This is where we think you need to go, you know, agree or disagree. And then what do you think you need? So like, that's kind of how we would do it. But I think. Yeah. And I think that's a huge point that you just brought up
0: is agree or disagree because a lot of times it's, Hey, this is the plan you need to get on board. And then Mm -hmm. giving the athlete the autonomy to talk, but if we did agree we're moving forward and we're just going to focus on execution. And that's another area where I see with data right now, it's abstract, it's this and that. Well, we think you should do this. If the athlete at the end of the day doesn't buy into the plan and the direction, not the compliance and, you know, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm told. So I don't get yelled
1: at, which does not lead to success, but I digress. Keep going. (laughs) No, I mean, that's honestly a great point because like, again, data without context, right? Like I can, I can have all the data in the world to tell me that like this person needs X, Y, and Z, but like, again, like if they're my all-star quarterback, (laughs) like, or, you know, and they, they think they need, you know, overhead band rotational stuff. And, you know, sometimes that's more of a conversation, right? Like that's way more of a conversation. So um because that, at the end of the day, like some people just need to go out and perform. So um, yeah, I think again, like it's, it's the roadmap and, and, and athlete input is extremely important too, because again, like that's, that's you're, you're dry, you know, you're driving a ship and, and if it's, if it's, you are the only one in, in command and, and the rest of, you know, the rest of the crew is turning the sails at the wrong time because they disagree with what you're doing. Like, you're not going to go where you want to go, right. You're going to end up somewhere out to drift. Uh, in the middle of the ocean so it's uh you you need you need the athlete input and i think showcasing where they are gives it it, again like it goes back to just opening the conversation like the uh, you know you showcase a a visual or just information to them and it's easy to digest the conversation's a lot easier to have than if you just try to like inundate somebody with just these complex visuals and it just becomes mind-numbing because again they a lot of people don't think in terms of numbers or, 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 visuals on a consistent basis, it, it has to be, you know, the duality of, of both of those combined for some people, but also putting in the simple enough terms that like people can digest it. And it's not to say that like, you know, data is this all encompassing majestical thing. That's unattainable for a lot of people. It's just more or less like, you know, you're having a quick conversation, make it easy, quick to talk about and, and not something you have to spend time, you know, hours looking at to really understand. So, and I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking
0: about What we've seen with tech creep and whether it's a monitoring um device a wearable or in Mm -hmm. practice yeah you run a lot thanks you know we get that with the gps we get the inertial moment we get the different velocity we get the distance we get that so what what are you going to do well very quickly and i know i think it was the ivy league talked about the wearables you can't do that Uh, and there's privacy elements to that there's also Mm -hmm. know again if i have to monitor you like that um that's going to very quickly uh build an adverse reaction to that data and data as a whole and if an athlete can't articulate to me the why and they're not excited that's probably Mm -hmm. a good you know kind of marker to say okay yes this is data but like i don't want to know how much you sleep i don't want to know you know what you're doing on the weekend like that's your time You know, there's 168 hours in the week. I want to make sure when you're with me, you're in your best shape and there's ways to do it. I just think people have to be very cautious with doing these kind of big data or machine learning or whatever buzzword to go like, yeah, the kids are kids. Athletes are Mm -hmm. athletes. Are they bought into your system where they're asking for more? And I thought you always did a great job of offering a buffet of information versus I know some guys are like, yeah, coach, I'm just going to go do it. (laughs) right? That's it. I trust you. I'm not going to, I don't need to know. So I thought that was always really great.
1: Yeah. And it's, that's the other thing too. It's like, you know, who's sitting in front of you, who's across from you. Like, there's plenty of people that they don't want to see a graph. They don't care. So why would that be the first thing I show them? You know, there's plenty of conversation I've I've had where it's just like, I sit sit down and it's like, Oh, Hey, what's up? (laughs) And we're just, you know, we just bro out for like 20 minutes and we have a conversation about where that person's at. And, you know, we both go on our days and they're ready to go. But like, you know, it's, it, it, things can be things like data and, and visualizations can be very, very impactful, but it, who is it going to be impactful for? You know, is it the person that's just going to come in and just hammer weights every day? Or is it going to be impactful for the person that like, is kind of skeptical. They're not really sure where they're at. They really want to know where, you know, who and what they're doing. And then it's just like, for them, that might be the, the turning point. That might be like the, the absolute, I guess, uh, pinnacle of their training where they're like, wow, this is, you know, this is really doing what I thought it would be doing. Or like, Hey, like, you know, I don't really need to do X, Y, and Z. Like I thought I did. I just need to stick to this. So, I mean, it's again, like it's, it's very much, it goes back to the three questions that we asked, but you know, we always ask ourselves for, for training. It's, it's the same with visuals, it's like who, who are we working with, like, what are they going to respond to and identifying that comes back to the context too, the context of who. So, um, I mean, that's, that stuff's vitally important. Because you never want to get, and you always said, don't put yourself in a headlock. <laughs> so don't, don't give somebody something that they, you know, they don't necessarily need or want. So.
0: Yeah. And and it might evolve over time. We had coaches that were yeah. very data heavy, wanted to know everything. And we had other coaches and athletes as well, that it's like, you guys do the data stuff. We trust that you're doing it well. It makes sense to me. That's enough. And then backing away from it. And mm-hmm. I think that's an, again, another thing of just making sure that, you know, the appropriate application um to your population so certainly, yeah um, it was something that we got pretty good at and the results kind of spoke for themselves because again all data takes time but what's the results so the team right. winning a lot teams that are integrated teams that don't use it they're not doing so well one can assume that you know there's an area for improvement but i don't want to just put it on the athletes and put it on the sport coaches we were very, very hard on ourselves. And for anyone nah. who doesn't know, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, you know Tofi mentioned medicine, well, guess what? If you're overdosing people as a doctor, you lose your license. Oh yeah. In our weight room, if you were writing programs that were hurting people or weren't working, you were gonna lose your license and you will get your you know, uh, learner's permit of the weight room um, administered to you. And, and you helped a lot with building some of the auditing um, mm-hmm applications. And I know we had uh, Beau Bartone from Mm -hmm. here on talking about manually doing it. I know coach TJ would manually do it. But you really kind of pushed forward in the development of being able to take our data from team builder, put it in a a calculator and give us an efficacy of whether it was working or not. And anyone that's listened to this podcast knows, heard me say, you always have a plan going into a lift. It never goes exactly the way you thought. And it's just how many audibles do you have? How much, you know, how many tools are in your toolbox? But then in post, you do need to do a day look back or even a mesocycle look back. But it's it's a lot of data if you don't have some of the magical tools you built me because I am a pretty tough user to build stuff for. But you, you did <laughs> such a good job, even I could use it. So could you talk a little bit about the auditor um, and kind of the inspiration and thought behind that?
1: Yeah, yeah, the, I mean... the inspiration uh the inspiration is I don't like wasting time (laughs) that is that is the inspiration I you said we were doing it manually and I said no we are not (laughs) I was like there is easily a better way to do this um and I mean I because I like to go home I like to spend my time in my house when we can I don't you know as much as I love being (laughs) with everybody in the staff uh when 11 p.m rolled around I was like okay (laughs) when, when am I going to bed um so for me, man, uh, the inspiration was I wanted to save time, um, and it kind of goes back to like, like, you know, people say like, oh, we know, you know, we already know X, Y, and Z. We know X, Y, and Z works. You know, how well does it work, right? Like how? And that that was like that's what you said we were critical on ourselves is like how is five percent good? Is twenty percent good? Is thirty? Is fifty? Like what's what's the percent increase or decrease? based on what we've administered, like what, what worked well, what didn't work well, are people doing what we're asking them to do? Are they filling things out the way we need it to be filled out to make informed decisions? So the auditor was really just this, we had so many questions after a workout, right? Like there were just like, we, we could sit in a room and ask like 20 questions based off of, of one workout, like one day. Right. And the auditor was really just the way to sit down and answer the questions in the quickest way possible. So um, team, builder, team builder does a really nice job of aggregating data on the back end. And it does a really nice job of exporting all that information into a CSV. So I took the CSV. And for people, and I know we've said CSV before, but CSV is just an Excel spreadsheet and it's it's whittled down to just numbers and words. And it's nothing, there's no fancy graphics, there's no highlights, there's no bolds. It's just literally just it's almost like a Word document at that point. Um, so we would take the CSV, um, I would dump it into the auditor. It would comb through everything and effectively what it would tell us is like, did they hit the percentages they were supposed to hit? Because some kids would come in and like, you know, they're at the, they're at the far end of the rack. They sneak away with doing, you know, 10% less than what they were supposed to do. Because like, yeah, they, maybe we had them programmed to 80%, but the weight they hit was actually 70. And it's like, you were supposed to hit a strength exposure. Like you're not even close right now, like, and it's like you know we set up the roadmap for like from here to Seattle, and if they're deviating from like Interstate 90, like how far did they go? How far do they travel? You know, did they they make their way all the way down to Florida? Like where? Like how do we have? How do we get them back? Right? So, I mean, for for us, the auditor was just a way to like make sure not only was our training working, was the adherence to the training that we wanted to administer that day actually. You know, getting done. So, I think we were able to make a lot of informed decisions on our training based on that auditor in a timely fashion, and that's that's really the thing. Because, like, how many how many days did we go where we woke up at five and left at you know eleven p.m. If like that's just that was just especially spring ball. Like, it was just the reality of the game. Um. So, anytime we could make informed decisions and either change the plan for the next day for that person, or, you know, just change the entire outlook of a block based on what we were seeing. Because sometimes we got into a block and like people started responding to it in a way that we didn't intend. And we were like, no, this just isn't, this isn't right. Like we have to like, let's, we have to shove everybody into a deload right now. Like people are fried. People are absolutely smoked. They're not even close. And it's like, yeah, we totally could have gone forward with the program if we wanted and if we hadn't known we, ignorance is bliss. Right. But like how many kids would have got blown up in the weight room if we just push forward when we didn't know if they were, or were not cooked, you know, like having that information of, of where the athlete is at any given point in time on a regular basis is so integral to making the decisions that need to be made for the, not only their safety, but the progress. Right. Because I, I can remember plenty of times where we were in spring ball and you're like, Nope, we're doing a deload next week. And you know, the, the stars aligned and, you know, everything was kind of going crazy. You was a, it was a full moon, and we we're like, no, nope, people are going to go crazy next week. And like, we can see, we saw the storm before it was even starting to really, really form and manifest. And we were like, no, it's that it, we we gotta we gotta back out of this. We gotta back out of this. And sometimes it was on an individual basis too. Yeah. So I mean, not not to say it was a whole team, but on an individual basis too. So. Yeah, I love the way that you talk about it. It was kind of
0: like an early warning radar system. And the other thing I loved about the auditor. It was the first time that we combined kind of old school uh, jerry martin you know three to five percent increase in uh, mm-hmm. intensity in one rm dr kramers if they're five percent off their max um you know default um tonnage should go up as a proxy for um tissue and, and muscle and so you had this immediacy of okay let's do three sets of five at 85 percent and it could be something as silly as like the person is injured. They didn't get to lift today. Well, there's 15 right. reps of 85. We didn't get. Where are we going to make that up? And we can't just double down. Oh, actually, the person misread their card. Instead of doing 250, they did 275. One, good to know that that wasn't their correct max. But shame on us for not seeing it. But now right. we've overshot. We can't now continue as forward. And so there was some immediate. It was an immediate application of old school principles in a data format to be able to work day to day. And as you mentioned, I remember there'd be times where you know we're gonna have this plan, we get in there and it wasn't until Thursday night or you know that Tuesday night where we're looking and saying, if these numbers continue to trend, we're not helping the situation. We're not helping right. the development. And where it matters in February and March and April is you start missing seven, eight heavy exposures, you're gonna feel that in the fall. Right. See that. And if a coach is like, we're weak, it's like, correct. You know, we, we missed half of our lifts or whatever the the thing was. So individually, it was super powerful. But then also, we mentioned before at the start of this, that was one of the tools where we started really exploring kind of new concepts. And so we knew that, for instance, in the metabolic circuit that Dr. Kramer gave us, you know, 260 reps, 36 minutes, 75% 1RM. Mm -hmm. If you couldn't get thirty thousand pounds of tonnage in that window, then that wasn't the right plan for you. You just couldn't move enough weight to stimulate um, the androgens and the growth, you know, components. Conversely, when we had our first individual crack, what was it, fifty thousand or fifty-five thousand pounds? Yeah, they had to default. Yeah, yeah. when you're squatting four oh five or four fifty for three sets of ten, but each rep of every set has to be done in 20 seconds that is a phenomenal amount of load on the system and for us to know okay they've now graduated into this higher level not bad but you can't stack back-to-back exposures or you're not going to recover and so i just really think the auditor was something that was a huge tool for us and we use that across all sports started with football migrated Mm -hmm. over to other teams but you could really go there and like you said if you're off three percent every day on your way to Seattle, and yeah. you, end up, you end up in Louisiana, well, it doesn't do you any good to be like, "Yep, we're in Louisiana." Like, we're oh. in Louisiana. We <laughs> <laughs> should have told me back in Pennsylvania. We should have hooked hooked the right. So, um, you know, the auditor was massive. Yeah. Um, and then, kind of, the auditor after we started figuring out that certain workouts worked, certain workouts did not work, and mm-hmm. everywhere in between. You built the flexible nonlinear chart. And again, I think it might have been Dr. Kramer came to visit, yeah. talked, mm-hmm. told us about doing this with cards. And of course, Tofi, you don't like analog. You digitized no. this concept um, and made flexible nonlinear, which again was a mainstay of the program's success. But also, I'd love for you to kind of talk about the key. So, having a lifting key and yeah. then that application of it, because this is a great example of context know your workout know your medicine know when to apply it this is a really complex application of multiple domains but i thought something that you did um flawlessly
1: yeah i mean that one um i think the the flexible nonlinear one was was huge uh because what we essentially wanted to do was identify the individual's workout so we would have 45 athletes come in and we only have an hour right there's 32 teams at yale and we wanted to run this advanced style of programming for a team of or for you know half the football team at a at a given clip for and they get one hour of weight room time. So you know you had to jump 45 people, um, identify their uh RPE, uh, get their body weights, and then they would go through warm-up still. And how much time did you have left? And that's and like if you want to do that by hand, it's gonna take you the hour, right? Um so when Dr. Kramer first brought the, the, it's not, it wasn't the idea. Cause he's done it. Like he's done it before. Like, he, you know, the guy's a, a genius. So when he, when he brought to us the concept and the uh, the way to go about it, I was like, that's a phenomenal idea. We don't have the hands or the time to be able to execute that by hand. We gotta, we gotta take that and put it into a digital format. So I took the principles and properties, put it into an Excel spreadsheet, made a day by day breakout, And what that sheet did was give a a effectively like a readiness score of like how ready that person was physiologically, um, for a style of workout that day. And again, like you're, you know, you're sitting down at the head of the weight room, looking through 45 athletes, trying to make a quick decision on every person, you know, the person's name it's right next to their readiness score, you know, their percentage. And then that percentage is highlighted With a certain color, so you don't have to think. Oh, lime green, they're ready to go. Oh, dark red, I have to have a conversation with that person. They're not lifting until I talk to them, you know. But then, you know, those percentages gave you kind of a menu of of options, right? So, those percentages uh, would correlate to some style of workout they were ready to handle that day. You know, whether it's power, whether it's strength, whether it's hypertrophy, whether it's, you know, recovery, whatever it had to be that day for that person, um, you had that key in that menu there. So when you go and look at somebody's name and, you know, we're talking about athlete, you know, X, well, what's the context of that athlete? Who is it? Is it a developmental person not getting reps? Are they not playing on the weekends? Okay. What are the, are they underweight? Um is it Sunday after, after the weekend, they could, and are they ready? Are they feel good? Are they fine? You know, can they do hypertrophy that day? Sure. Why not? We're in season. We have a week, you know, we can hit them with some sort of metabolic exposure on a Sunday. Cause we know they have Monday off. Right. Like the data's there, but then the real machine learning, the, the machine is you, right. You apply all this context, you apply all the subtle variables that like, you know, the, the machine wouldn't necessarily think about if it was just a, a computer. But we used kind of like an algorithm in a sense to apply it to ourselves and say like, this is the context that I know and I have to make a decision based on the parameters that are in front of me. And then you'd make that decision. And that's where that pie, the pie charts came from. And you you go and look and then we started to realize like the, the Charles Poliquin principle of uh, variation, right? If I'm remembering correctly, like some people respond to a lot of variation. Well, we saw that people gained a lot of muscle in season, but some of those people just loved variation. And it's like their pie chart was literally like, they didn't have one even slice of pie. It was just all over the place. Um, and you know, other people that love that, like would just stick to three or four workouts and whether it was because that's how they recovered, that's what their body responded to really well because their, their numbers kept going up and up and up, or they were just someone that got a lot of reps and they just, you know, needed a lot of like one or two things to get them through the season without just absolutely falling apart. So that sheet, um, I mean, when, when you look at it, it looks, it looks a little all over the place and it looks a little ridiculous. Um, but I mean, there's, there's so much information in that sheet, you know, day to day when you go through it, it's, it's, it's wild. And and like talking about it, like we literally just like, we were like, okay, we got to do this. Let's get it done. And it seems so simple to us, but like, you know, when you, we, we kind of really break it down, it's, it was kind of something special that we were able to pull together on in like 10 minutes before a lift. (laughs) Right. And for anyone who's trying to visualize this, the principles of flexible
0: nonlinear rooted in Yukon was the idea is that thinking about the brain thinking about not readiness in the sense of a collection of things, it was literally they looked at power. And so mm-hmm. power rated from their preseason baseline value to the current day, and it was 95% and up, all green, good, you had 90 to 95, light strength or something, maybe rotational, maybe something functional, unilateral, whatever. Um, and then if it was below 90, it was a recovery or speak with athletic training. And so people go, okay, so you have three buckets. Well, one of the things that doc and Jerry worked on was that I could be green, be very stressed. And so they would ask them that one through 10 question, you know, and we would say a zero, I have no fatigue. I feel fine. I can run through walls 10, the walls are falling in on me and I don't even want to be (laughs) here. And that was super important to marry contextual stuff with objective stuff, and blend together. And there were times where individuals were like I, I feel terrible, and they would set a PR, and mm-hmm. that would change their mind. But then now, if we've got 10 options at each bucket, three buckets, that's 30 options. And so I would tell people that's like a doctor, when you go into the emergency room, we had 30 different medications.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what the machine, all, I mean, sorry, the sheet would tell us is not only you know, these are the different medications you have, these are the medications that you're giving out. These are the medications in, in post, we could go back and look at their effect, but we could start dialing in these kind of prescriptions in the lifting key to say, we know that three by three at 90% gave us better results than say maybe a two by four at 87 or pick pick something. And so it became a way for us to continually iterate our lifting prescriptions of very heavy, very heavy power, uh, repeated strength, strength, speed, any of the velocity based stuff but you weren't just throwing it against the wall. You would go Mm -hmm. and look. And I remember, I forget which lift it was, but I think it was either TJ or Bo said, we don't even use the G lift or we don't use the whatever lift. And so, you know, at the end of the season, we blew it up. Well, why didn't we use it? Was it too much? Mm -hmm. Um, Was it too technical? And so we were able to address a lot of different domains, but I mean, to think about hitting the floor, 30 different possible workouts that could happen. You don't know until that minute, everybody jumps, every reports in we'd have little interns of three or four interns with laptops they would mm-hmm. report their vert and we get their power and then their subjective number um and we were able to make a decision and i wonder too and again now selfishly having access to the plates we looked at peak power so super, yeah. super important but we can also now start to see some of the elements of loading eccentric mm-hmm. braking landing so if someone's power goes up but their strategy to do so is uh, less conducive to longevity. How yeah. would that have impact impacted our, um, you know, choices? Because if you put a snowplow on a Lambo, it it might work, but for the longevity of the car, that's probably not an ideal situation. I uh-huh. wonder, I wonder how many more games we could have won. I wonder how many more things we could have um, built upon. But using that same methodology of the framework. Description mm-hmm. and then being able to to get the athlete feedback day in and day out and
1: all of this was like you said was done in eight minutes.
0: So yeah, it was nuts. To
1: yeah, I think if you told anybody you didn't know what lift was going to happen until eight minutes into a warm up, they'd be like, "What? What is going on?" But I mean, they're like, I, I it, it, I don't know. There was such something about it because like we had a reason for everything we picked. You know what I mean? There was like an absolute reason for everything we picked, and it was down to the individual. And it's like it's not easy. It's like, uh, you know, we, we talk about it. Like it's just so matter of fact, like this is how it is. Right. It's, it was not, it was not easy to put together orchestrate and then file it down. But like, that's, I think we, we didn't, <clears throat> we didn't really like to settle. We, uh, we definitely wanted to like push the limits and push the bounds. We knew that like, you know, um, we used to say it all, all the time. It's like an iterative process. Just like, why didn't the G lift work? Well, like we would go in and be like, how do we get this from 15 minutes to, to 12? how do we get this from 12 minutes to eight? Like, what, like, what do we have to do? What's the flow of the room? Like, who do we, who do we have to steer in what direction? And I think we did a really, I mean, obviously it like, it took time. The first, I think the first flexible nonlinear lift didn't look anything like the last one, but it's like, we all had a plan and we all agreed on the plan and we pushed forward and we wanted to make the plan better. And that's like, well, you know, that's, that was kind of the magic. Like people always ask the magic. It's like, well, we, we had a really good team of, of individuals that came together and like wanted to push together on a certain idea at the same time and like that's how the magic happens and i mean that's we had buy-in from the staff and we got buying from the athletes and like that's how you win championships man that's how it is yeah and, and i know people go
0: that's crazy you had no plan it must have <laughs> yeah. been us like no time out for a minute like we knew who the development people were we knew who the yeah. people were we knew who the starter so for for the record it wasn't just a giant spaghetti mess of just stuff everywhere um <sighs> we had a plan and and i likened it to one customer i was talking to them because i'm trying to explain this you know, crazy concept. And I said, when you're a football in a football game or any game, you, mm-hmm. you scout it out. You you yeah. look at data to say this is the strategy we're gonna do. You're gonna get in the game, but you don't go into a football game with one play no. that day. You go yeah. in and you do it. You and then it's okay. What's the down and distance? Where are we at on the clock? And I would just say, is that the football game is a is a one day, you know, four quarter thing? Mm-hmm. Well, our game was two weeks post Harvard to you know August 16th and we're constantly looking at the clock and you know we're up at halftime, we go to spring break, like really good first half, like let's not overdo it. Let's, you know, whatever. And so um it was probably the closest to what a sport coach would know is like a play call sheet. Right. Trying yeah. to do it. And at the end of the day, like you said, you hit it on the head all green feels great, but it's the starting quarterback. Yeah, nope. We are nope. not got to set a max that day. I don't know. I don't care what the data says. Cause you know what? We keep them healthy and happy. And I can mm-hmm. think of that across multiple sports where that's the ideal situation, but yeah. more importantly, for that kid who wants to develop in season putting on five or six pounds of muscle, you know, yeah. dropping bo- body fat, upping power, doing strength, like getting strength. Like it was pretty, it was pretty impactful. But as you've mentioned a couple times, it was the staff that was bought in. Yeah, with a conviction that nobody would question. And so that's why we were able to execute on it. Yeah. And and we learned a lot. But I want to ask you from where you started Mm -hmm. five years ago, and even let's go even go back to personal training, Mm -hmm. seen a lot of data, you've actually won championships with the data that you've worked, how has it changed you as a coach? either analytically and, or kind
1: of holistically, um, big picture? Ah, uh, that's actually a really good question. Cause I don't know. I don't know how much it would have, or it has changed me. I think, I don't know if it's changed me so much because even before data, I would have a reason for what I did. I think now I just have an answer to, you know, what the reasoning is, you know, now I just have more ammunition, uh, when people ask questions. You know, like instead of saying like, yeah, we need to focus on strength. Well, like I know you need to focus on strength because you can't squat your body weight. <laughs> like that's, I don't need a lot of data for that. But like when we start to get to like the more nuanced areas of advanced training, it's like, well, why do I need to switch to that? You know, why is this going to be important? And I think having that information, that ammunition on a regular basis is what has changed for me as a coach. I think, I, like I said, I would always want to have a reason, whether it's timing, whether it's for the individual, whether it's for you know, the team's goal at the moment, but like having the data just gives more assurance that I'm in the right direction. And it tells me when I have to pump the brakes and it tells me when I have to step on the gas. So I think there's, it just, it is applied assurance and it's pushed me in different directions to be more confident in what I know. And it honestly is, is humbled me in sense that like, I have written bad programs, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I've Written awful programs, but I didn't even take the data. I would be like, Oh yeah, you know, exercise is exercise. You pick up a barbell, you can get stronger. And it's like, how strong did you get? Like we talked about before. It's three percent good, five percent, twenty percent. Like what's what am I hitting and, and where are my deficiencies and how can I not how can I suck less? <laughs> Always a good goal. <laughs> Speaking of which, so you you finished the the
0: stuff over at Yale. You you come out of the the college setting mm-hmm. and now you're into private sector at team building. Uh- walk me through what that transition has been like. And then also uh, any sneak peeks and, or any kind of thing you can let us know about projects you're working on.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's different. It's, it's a different lifestyle. Um, It's a, I wouldn't say it's a different way of thinking. It's just, you're using different verbs, you know, it's a, you're just like, you're explaining things using different words. Um, You know, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what I get to, what I get to explore and, and and kind of like what I get to take on because what I really kind of fell in love with while I was a coach at Yale and you know I, I will always love working with athletes It's a lot of fun that's why you're a coach right um but what I really like to do is solve problems and I like to solve issues and I like to be as precise and effective as possible and um that to me was was where I really really started to enjoy uh, a different side of the work that we had at Yale and and now a team builder I get to just dig my heels into that, you know, because having six teams and and trying to be the problem solver, and then also trying to make sure, you know, all your fires are put out, but also, you know, your teams are progressing the way you want to, but everybody else's teams are taken care of because you got the data too. Um, That became, it, it was a lot. It was, it was, it was absolutely a lot, but now I get to kind of dig in on that, that one, that one vector and, and really explore how far I can take it. And, and that's what I'm most excited about. And there's, there's quite a few projects uh, that I'm kind of heading in uh, a Team Builder. Um, a lot of it has to do with technology integration uh, into Team Builder itself, and in kind of giving people not only more access to their data, but access in a more centralized location. And I'm really excited about that because that's what I wanted to do for everybody at Yale was like put everything in one area, so we're not scrambling for five, you know, scrambling over five different places to find one answer, but we have to use three or four different variables from four or five different technologies. You know what I mean? So I think that's definitely exciting for me. Uh, but also working with people on, a, on an individual basis, like I did at Yale to like solve their problems. You know, they want to see data. It's, you know, I can make templates for days, but like my template isn't going to be the template you want. Right. Like you can, you can use it. Sure. You can definitely use whatever I've made before, but like the way your weight room set up is not the way my weight room in my head is set up. And like, you know, I can say like, Hey, This is what we did at Yale, but we had 17 racks and eight vert stations, and it's like, oh, I have I have five racks in in one vert station. And it's like the the practicality of some of the sheets that I've made for Yale is you know, it could be a template, sure. But like I want to I want to work with clients one-on-one to to do what I did at Yale and just be like, Hey, this is this is your situation, this is your scenario, this is your context. Let's solve the problem for the context, you know. So that's I, I, I love that stuff, it's a lot of fun for me. So um, that's, I'm definitely excited about that. So, but yeah, man, it's a, it is different. It's a different way of life. Um, the, uh, sitting on here with a podcast, you know, talking on a podcast with you is that's not even close to what I would imagine being able to do with the hours I had before, but here I am.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I think too, as you mentioned, being able to take something that was so special and do it at a level that most people can't imagine day in and day out now bringing it to a bigger population and on, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing on my side of, when you can sit with someone halfway around the world and walk them through and tell them the stories, you know, of how this technology can not do their job for them, but help them do their job and do what they love, which is helping people, which is finding out, you know, discovering some insight to then help that rehab a little bit more to help that individual who wants to make varsity or get recruited or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty special to do it and uh, do it at such a such a global reach is, uh, Mm -hmm. super cool. But I think people just need to pay attention though, as we go forward to this is that how you approach technology is almost as important as what the technology does. Cause let's be honest, how many times would I go screw up the team builder, put in the wrong names, put in the wrong order and Mm -hmm. set up an ontology that, okay, back squat. Cool. Yeah. With a goblet with uh you know, a barbell with a Kabuki bar. What's the, you know, what's the, um, you know implement you know bench press what kind what what whatever was it at a velocity and so you know we tried but getting that set up right away can be very very daunting i know i yeah. hate it. and so i guess if people are listening that's one of the areas where if you're nervous about technology you know give give coach a call here cuz again um it shouldn't have to be intimidating no, um, definitely not. it should actually just help you do what you like doing and, and the same thing goes back with the plates I, I had somebody just last week verbatim i'm not a tech guy and i said good neither am i handed him a tablet if you can press a little go button in the lower right corner you now too are a tech guy and so i hope mm-hmm. we can actually bring some people over and then you know augment some just good fundamental old school coaching
1: yeah, no, I mean that's, I mean that's really what it is is usability. It's like you mentioned it before, and I, I didn't touch on it necessarily, but you said you know you weren't the biggest tech guy, and if I can make something that you could use, then that that's like you know good as gold. Oh, the but, worst, you guys, oh, hate it. every yeah. time I touch something, I break it. No, absolutely, it was it was like the amount of times I said, well, just don't do that, and you said, well, I'm going to do it, and I was. Yeah was just, I mean, yeah, the, the lesson, the lesson there, uh, lies within, you know, you just got to make something that's just intuitive. That's point and click, you know, you want to get the answers in one or two clicks, not, you know, five or 10. So it's like, you know, for, for as far as usability goes, it's like, that's, that's the key, right? Like you want to make something that's intuitive, that's simple, that anybody can use at any given level. And then all you have to do is maybe explain it in one or two sentences. Like that's, that's really where, where this field needs to go because the the more people that have technology, the more people that are producing data and not necessarily able to analyze it, but they just understand the value in it. You're going to start to find more and more answers that people either thought existed or didn't know existed at any given point in time. I think that's, that's really where, you know, this field is, is going to be able to go, right. It's just going to evolve. And it it starts with the simplicity and getting people to kind of like get on board and buy in and start just, you know, messing around with the information they got and see what they can find.
0: Yeah. Well, Always awesome to speak with you. Can't wait to connect more over the, the rest of the spring and summer. Um, for those people that want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to get in contact?
1: Um well, uh it is my first name, uh T-E-O-F E. And that is at teambuilder.com. That is my email. So if you want to shoot me an email, um, I'm more than happy to talk um while I'm talking about this stuff, even if it's just talking shop about strength and conditioning. Um, you know. I was in it for five years. So I I definitely loved it. So if it's, uh, and I still do love it, but um, if you want to just talk shop, we don't have to talk numbers all the time. We can definitely just bro out and hang out. So um, any questions, anything. Yeah. Feel free to reach out more than happy to talk.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll be in touch. And for anyone else with questions about the podcast or any of the information covered today, don't hesitate to reach out at hawkandynamics.com. Love talking to you guys. See you next week.